you so much for joining me. Um, I've just treasured uh, getting to know you. I really appreciate the support, especially that you've given our daughter uh, as a plebe and as a midshipman. And to me, you're one of the key trailblazers, uh, not only at the Naval Thank Academy, you. but just in our nation and in the world. Thank you for being here today. And we just wanted to have a conversation and I have some questions to kind of set the tone and to get your perspective. Tell us a little bit about why I think and so many other people think and know that you're a trailblazing woman of color as well. Do you want to give us a little bit of your background? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Annie. It is great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you, whether it's on a video or in real life. Um, I have the utmost respect for your daughter. She's an outstanding young woman and she is going to do, she's going to blaze trails wherever she goes. So I appreciate the opportunity of sharing her with you. I met Gabi because I also went to the Naval Academy many, many years before she did. I was part of the first class of women to be admitted in 1976 and was the only black woman admitted in that class. So it's been years and the opportunity to see our dreams fulfilled by young ladies like Gabi makes it all worthwhile. So I'm in my background, just to give you a short bio, I left the Naval Academy as a Supply Corps officer, uh, served in the Navy for five, six years, went into corporate America, into corporations like Procter, Pepsi, Hershey, Bank of America, started my own consulting business, was able to get um, accepted into the Stone Fellows program at MIT, and uh, I got my MBA at MIT and started my own business and have worked across 15 different industries. I was able to start a nonprofit for uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged young men called Boys to Men and ran that for about a decade, for about 10 years, and have served on the boards of credit unions, um, nonprofits, I'm currently on the board of Academy Securities and uh, have received numerous awards from the Secretary of Defense, from Congress, from my local community, from national efforts. So I've truly been blessed in my opportunities to, to experience different things and serve different people. So I'm glad to be here with you today. One of the things that I enjoyed the most was reading your book, No Coincidences. My first question is, why on earth did you choose to attend the U.S. Naval Academy? <laughs> that's, you know, I think that's a, <clears throat> that answer can be different depending upon the person, but I actually felt it was somewhat of a calling. I lived in a small town in South Carolina, and you would think that, you know, coming from that place, you would have minimal opportunities, but it was kind of an enigma. Um, it was a home of the, na of the uh, nation's first nuclear weapons facility. So we had scientists and engineers from all over the world. And those, those people were earning Nobel prizes right there in Aiken. So you can imagine the STEM programs that they required be, as part of our educational system. So I had the opportunity to have an outstanding education to get about a year's worth of college credits while I was still in high, high school. And based on that, I had acceptances from every uh, Ivy League school that I applied to. And so the, when the Naval Academy came, it was, you know, it was rather last minute because uh, the president had just signed the executive order opening the service academies to the women. 
And it, it had never been on my radar. And that tells you something about life. So quite often we have these detailed plans about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And, and we have our lives laid out in front of us and things, opportunities that never even existed when we make, we're making those plans can come along and, and throw things um, in a different direction. But for me, all my life, I've been the first and only. I had gone through those transitions. I had a wonderful education. I had wonderful parents. I participated in a lot of different things. And the Naval Academy, when they called and said, you've, been, you've received an appointment, you're going to be the only one. First, I had to ask what that meant. But, and, and they said, are you still coming? And then I just, it was like one of those aha moments. And it went, I went, oh, so that's what this has all been about. Mm. So I said, yes, I'm coming. And I just feel like, felt like all those things that I'd gone through in my youth, no coincidences would re, had really prepared me to go into that environment, even though I had no idea how seriously um, they would oppose my being there. It was, uh, it felt like a calling, something for me to do. And on top of that, it's a wonderful institution. I mean, Harvard, MIT, whatever has nothing on the Naval Academy because when you look at science there, when we work on airplanes, we don't talk and fill out little blue books. We work on airplanes. Um, we have a nuclear reactor. <laughs> we have a huge tow tape to, to test our ships. So you, uh, and it gave you the opportunity to serve your nation. So you get a wonderful education, the opportunity to serve your nation, leadership, mad leadership skills like you wouldn't get anyplace else. Um, it actually seemed like just the perfect storm coming together. And that's a storm would be a good way to, to describe it. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Um, when I was reading your book and I found your story so engaging and what I admired the most was that you did go through so many difficult things. But as you were looking back at your journey, you always chose to see the positive. You didn't get bogged down in the negative. You chose to see the silver lining. How did you find those silver linings and what exactly prepared you for that difficult journey ahead at the Naval Academy? You know, we talk about, I talked a little bit, the preparation came from a number of sources, from having wonderful parents. My father was a minister, my mother was a teacher, and they invested their entire lives into their children. And so I think faith had a lot to do with being able to, to see the silver lining. I, I never felt like I was alone. Mm -hmm. I tell a story in my book about my invisible friends and how even as a little girl, I played cowboys and Indians and with, um, and that was the terminology we used at that time, cowboys mm -hmm. and Indians with, with Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. And so even though I was isolated quite often at the Naval Academy, you could never make me feel alone. Mm -hmm. and you could never make me feel by myself because I had that. I, I didn't, I always saw the silver lining because I didn't think the battle was mine. I thought I was in the place where I was supposed to be at that time. And yes, I was going to go through difficult times, but I wouldn't go through them alone and it would all work out for the, for the good. So it was just the background that I came from that, and I think Nelson Mandela says it very well when he says, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Joy is something we surrender. No one can take that from you. 
So you decide that whatever's going on in your life at a particular time, that this is the attitude that I'm going to have about it. And so you can decide that I'm going to go through this. It's going to be difficult. It won't, um, things won't, off, quite often won't go my way. But this is a journey that I'm on, that I've chosen, that I think, that I know is the best thing for me to do and just maintain a positive attitude about it. They, I didn't take it personal. They were very, they didn't do those things to Janie Mines. They did it to a black woman that they felt would have a negative impact on the Navy's mission because the Navy was not ready for her at the time. And they felt that way. Black men had just only started being accepted. And so they, they felt that a black woman at the same time as I was told could only get good white men killed and they weren't gonna let me do that. I guess I, I was given the type of foundation in my life where I could see past the behavior to the motivations and work on it from the basis of the motivation instead of the emotional response. And that takes a lot of strength of character and, and emotional maturity on your part because you were just a teenager. So you can tell that, that your family really supported you and, and, and gave you that and equipped you uh, with what you needed to succeed there because you did. And, and that to me is an encouragement for the plebes that are going through their plebe year. And this has been an unusual plebe year, right? Because they went from quarantine to plebe summer to what's been an extended ROM, I think, mm -hmm. for yeah. them. So mm -hmm. It's been, and, and I always tell the parents that, that are concerned and, and I tell them, look, this is going to make them stronger. It's going to make them more resilient and they're going to be better naval officers for it. And, and you're, you're proof of that. So I was actually on a Zoom call last night with a group of midshipman leaders mm -hmm. and talking about just that and, mm -hmm. and how, you know, we go through these, these, these challenges in lives in our lives to make us stronger. And they're gonna walk out there with an experience as leaders that few have had before them, and it will prepare them to serve and to be able to help people going through challenges. So yeah, we talked about that and how to find kind of the silver lining in all this and how to leverage it forward as they grow and come out as Naval officers. That's wonderful. And I'm glad that they, they have you as a, a mentor because- I'm glad I have them too. <laughs> you're a member of the first class of women and you're the first black woman to attend the Naval Academy. So mm -hmm. I remember you telling a story uh, when we first met about how things were difficult. You were thinking about maybe throwing in the towel and you were walking down Main Street in Annapolis and this little grandma came up to you. And do you remember that story? Yes. Can you tell uh -huh. us about I it? call it angels. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. mm -hmm. Please tell us that story. That's one of my favorites. Okay. <laughs> it was, um, the Naval Academy was a very uh, lonely place for me. Even with, even with your invisible friends, sometimes you're just like a person. <laughs> so I was walking out in town and I tended to stay away from everybody because it wasn't just the Naval Academy that had very negative feeling about women being there. A lot of the people in town would say things that weren't very nice either. So I tended to stay away and I was walking up the street and this little, I mean, she was ancient, very, very old. It, I remember seeing her and the first thing that went through in my mind is that I couldn't believe she was out there in a company. 
Mm. And um, she, she, she said, baby. And so I didn't want to stop. I was hoping maybe she wasn't talking to me. <laughs> and she said it again. So you don't walk away from, you know, the elders who are talking to you. So I just, I said, I turned, I said, yes, ma'am. And she finally got to me because she was coming down a little hill and she got to me and I did not know what she was going to say. And she was so, oh, she had this really long kind of sweater jacket on and very long skirt and flat, I remember the flat black shoes because she was so bent over, so old that she was on a cane and she had to turn her head sideways to look up at me. Mm. And she said, baby, you know, you can't quit, don't you? And that, that threw me off because no one had said that. They'd always said just the opposite. Right. And I said, ma'am, and she said, baby, you know you can't quit, don't you? And I said, yes, ma'am. But I guess I didn't say it with enough conviction. So she repeated again very loudly. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, I won't quit. And for me, that was a pivotal moment because before it was just left up to me. Mm. I made no promises to anybody else. My parents said, come home whenever you want to and go to one of the other schools. And having her show up at that time to tell me that, you know, it was, it just affected me. So I turned around, I was leaving. She, she was getting ready. She said, well, okay. And she was turning around and I turned around to head back to the academy. But then I said, oh my goodness, you can't let her walk back up there by herself. She's a little old lady, at least walk her back to her home. And so I turned around and she was gone. And it was so, I just, I couldn't believe it. And I, it, I, I call it angels because it just felt like an angel was sent at the right time because she looked like somebody from a, an, another century. I mean, she just was dressed so oddly mm. and, and it had a really profound impact on me. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I, I just remember that story so vividly to this day when, mm. when you told it and given all that, given that you had a difficult time, that you weren't necessarily accepted, that you have this angel in visitation that's telling you not to quit. You graduate, you commission, you serve your country in the Navy. How does it feel to today see a Black female as a brigade commander at the Naval Academy and the role that you played in that? Because you laid a foundation. You know, it's funny when I talked to her because she was part of the group that I was talking to last night. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm all I'm proud of her and what she's done. And when I say her, I mean particularly her, because as long as I can remember as a youngster, she was doing leadership things across the brigade. Mm -hmm. um, just getting people together, sponsoring events. I mean, she walked into the academy as a leader. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that she was a brigade commander, it was like nobody, I can't think of anyone who deserved it more because of her commitment to the Naval Academy and to the Brigade of Midshipmen and pulling everybody together to accomplish the mission as a youngster. And it, it, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. When I think about my reception at the Naval Academy and that now, although 40 years later, now we have our first black female brigade commander leading the, those 4,400 wonderful students board. And it is, I don't know, she said Sydney, her name is Sydney Barber. And she gives, gives me a lot of credit in terms of having read my book and understanding the journey. She said, because whatever she went through, it would not be as bad. <laughs> 
So it was, um, and so she could do it. And she is everything I could have hoped for. I called her my wildest dream. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Your role as trailblazer enabled her to get to where she is. A lot of it falls on her though. Right. I wouldn't take too much credit for that. So you open the door. Let's say you you open the door for her, for her to do that. And that goes for my daughter, uh, more Mm -hmm. Hispanic. So we're, we're uh, Mm -hmm. women of color as well. What would be your advice to female mids, female mids, female mids of color, as they go through the academy, that they're, they can claim their own accomplishments, but they're definitely walking in your footsteps because you open the door. What would advice uh, would you give them as they go through the academy? I guess there's a few things. One of the things that has, has really been of concern to me lately is the boxes we place ourselves in um, and not allowing, I call that noise. I mean, we're all proud of our heritage and the things that that are intrinsically ours based on that heritage, but that is not all that we are. I'm not just a black woman. I'm mm-hmm. not just what you see. There's a lot more of me that if you would take the time to get to know me, take the time to have a conversation with me, take the time to for us to work together on things that are really important for our nation and our organizations and have us come together with all those different perspectives and values and talents all aimed in the same the same direction because we've taken the time to define that direction mm-hmm. we are unbeatable mm-hmm. so i tell them I don't walk in a room wondering how and how, and maybe that's my naivety. Is I don't walk into a room wondering how I'm going to be received as a black woman. I walk into a room because I have a right to be in that room, and I don't. I'm not looking for trouble. And you what? 99.9% of the time, I don't find any. People are willing to be open and to work with me because I don't make them feel uncomfortable. I don't, um, they don't make me feel uncomfortable. They accept me for who I am because I come in expecting them to. Quite often we, we as diverse peoples and, and women feel that we, we expect certain things and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you don't expect that, if you come in because you're a very talented and capable individual, displaying those talents and capability and stepping up to the plate and giving the best performance as you should. I believe, I believe that um, every performance, everything that we do is an honor to God. Mm-hmm. And so I see it that way. So giving those tributes to God and just being yourself, you will be fine. It's only when we allow those boxes to get in our way that we fail in our efforts to build coherent, coherent teams and be able to um, work well with others. Right, I love that answer. And I think a lot of times we allow ourselves as people, regardless of gender or anything else, mm-hmm. to, to be defined by others or by rules. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love the way that you said that you have a right to be there. It doesn't depend mm-hmm. on any specific characteristic. It's mm-hmm. just the whole of you and you have a right to be there. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. How did your experience moving on kind of been looking at, I'm thinking about the, the, all the first seeds that we'll be commissioning in May 
and their journey through the Naval Academy. How did your journey prepare you for the, or, or kind of guide you in the type of Naval officer that you wanted to be and that you became? Well, the Naval Academy has a, a significant emphasis on leadership. Mm -hmm. um, as in, in Navy Junior ROTC, I was a leader in my unit. I've always been cast in that role. So it was the Naval Academy taught me to lead doing very adverse conditions mm -hmm. where, you know, when people don't want you there, when they're throwing up all kinds of, of barriers. I have faced no challenge um, in my professional life that I could not maneuver, work through whatever, because the Naval Academy prepared me for that. It was, um, they really work on the whole person, um, as they say, morally, mentally, and physically, to be able to go out and do anything you want to do. Mm -hmm. So it is, I cannot say enough about the training that I got there. The preparation, and some of it was hard preparation, but, you know, there are hard things in life that we have to get ready for. Mm -hmm. And for me, God just gives you what you need to be able to do that. And I've had the opportunity to do some very interesting, difficult things in my private life, but they were all things I could do because of the solid foundation I got in my life and at the early years and at the Naval Academy. That is very, that, that's very inspiring. Thank you, Jamie. You're welcome. I wanted to see if you could maybe give some inspiring words to these plebes. <laughs> to the class of 2024 it seems that like they've been in rom more than they've been in out um just based on your experience what would you tell all of the plebes about persevering and getting through these difficulties that they're seeing a lot of isolation too so i'm sure that you can relate with that just mm -hmm. from what you've told us about your story they are experienced, this is a very unique experience for the Naval Academy and for all the midshipmen there. I can't imagine being a plebe and locked in the hall all day long with upperclassmen. Um, but, and then still not even, I guess right now in ROM, they're not even able to communicate much with anyone else other than their roommates. But it is, you know, I was talking to them about that last night because there were some plebes on the phone and uh, this too shall pass. I mean, every at this moment in time where they're experiencing this, at some point in their career, they're going to meet people who feel isolated, who are alone, who are going through, who are depressed and going through very difficult times, and who can't see the end of the journey. They're going to be able to tell them that it does end, there is light on the other side and that it is how you progress through these difficult times that makes the difference in terms of whether you succeed on the other end. Mm -hmm. And it is, we learn from it. We are able to leverage it for ourselves personally in our interactions with others. And as military officers, we're gonna have to make some very difficult decisions at times when we feel we're all alone in making that decision. Mm -hmm. And what, what you're developing a sense of a sense of power right now in yourself in terms of learning how to work and make decisions and, and prosper in isolation. So 
leverage all this, realize it is all part, no coincidences. It is all part of a journey that you were supposed to take to prepare you for the next stage of your life. So look at it that way. Don't focus on the, the troubles of the journey. Sit back. One of the questions I asked him was, what are you learning? So you're there now. You're going through this, this experience. What have you learned from this? And how will you leverage it going forward to better serve the people that you lead? And they were like, oh, they're so cute. That, <laughs> they are. And they're so strong and they're so resilient. And more than we as parents give them credit for, but sometimes. <laughs> I remember with my oldest when he was a plebe and uh, he had some upper class that loved to to use very loud voices, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And that was not a motivator for him. That, mm -hmm. you know, that just did not sit well with him. I mean, mm -hmm. he knew it was part of the process, but I told him, well, remember this moment, remember how you feel. And when you're a firstie and when you're an officer, decide, are you going to be this kind of leader or mm -hmm. are you going to be a leader that doesn't do that? And, and it was definitely something that helped him to grow because he did not necessarily yell. He would look, he, he got this, you know, the mama look and, <laughs> and he would whisper. And I think that was more intimidating than actually yelling. <laughs> every but moment is a teachable moment. Every, every moment, mm -hmm. every moment. To close, what is the, your highest high so and what was your lowest low? Oh, okay. Now those are two different questions. Uh, Let me uh, know. <laughs> the, the uh, lowest low. I was not happy with the level of violence that I contributed to. If I was, if I was um, attacked physically, mm -hmm. I responded physically, but I was professionally trained to, to fight. I wonder sometime would there have been another way? Mm. It was a challenge because it was a school of warriors. And warriors only respect you. We expect to engage one another in war, and they only respect you if you step up to that and you are you conquer. Right. And so it was, but it ate me up to have to do that. Hmm. So that was something that I that I struggled with, and it still bothers me that you know some of the things that I did to make people leave me alone. <laughs> right. And it's um so that that bothered me. Highest high was when, besides graduation, mm. was when, and I talk, I call it in my book, I said that he taught me that all the tall men in, in black suits and bedazzled in gold weren't all monsters. And um, it was a senior officer who did the right thing mm. when, it came, when it came to an incident that I had that he was involved in. He treated me like everybody else. Okay. I'll always value that moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is there, I uh, tell us a little bit about your book and if there's anything else that you want to add, it would be wonderful. And again, thank you for being here with me. I guess the only thing, and you know, I've talked to uh, quite a few people about the book and I'll, you ever feel like you, you're not the author of something, you just kind of wrote it down. Mm -hmm. um, I've had so many people who have read that. In fact, I was talking to some people today from all different nationality and walks of life who said I, they were in my book. They saw themselves in my book. And I am no literary giant. Um, the fact that so many people were to able to relate 
personally to the stories in my book, Black, white, female, male, military, professional. I mean, all kinds of different, different um, walks of life is probably, I feel the biggest blessing as it relates to the book, because one of the common themes is more, we have more in common than we have that separates us. Yes. And until we, and the only way they knew that was by reading that book because they weren't talking to people who didn't look like them every day. So that bought that concept home to them that I don't have to look like you. I don't have to be your same gender. None of those things are important in terms of who we are as individuals. And as individuals, we fundamentally share the same values and the same aspirations and actually a lot of the same experiences. So once we see that and are able to, again, to go forward together, we will be much stronger as a people. Yes, I see your story as a universe. It's, it's like a universal story. You can put yourself in that situation. And I love your journey because you persevered through it, but you also remain so positive through it. And, and in the end, you finish what you started. Mm-hmm. And... And you're so instrumental to the academy community today. And we have a lot to thank you for that. Thank Thank you. you. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank (laughs) you for being here. And we just love you. Let me grab the book. Hold on a second. Okay. It's on the top of my bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) I always have it there. And it's, uh, I'm not uh, an academy graduate. I'm the daughter of an academy graduate. I have two kids that are academy graduates. But um, so you're an academy graduate because you have like, gone through a lot. <laughs> an academy parent graduate, um, but it means a lot to me, uh, not only from an academy perspective, but a human perspective. And if I can just ask you out of curiosity, how did your parents deal with this whole thing? Because like when my kids were going through something, I, I was like model bear at home. I mean, I didn't let them know it because I didn't want to stress them out more, but I was like, eh. so how did your mom and dad deal with everything you went through well they didn't know because that would not have worked (laughs) they would have had a serious problem (laughs) with that but it was uh you know my parents had I think you know it was a journey for them too raising me because as a parent now and I look back at the things they let their scrawny little girl do (laughs) because she said she wanted to do it and they never they never um said things like well you can't do that because you're a girl or you can't do that because you're black because at that time that really was a key Hmm. key factor um they never introduced fear or the lack of competence Hmm. and I was thinking and raising my son if I could do half as well with just being able to raise someone who believes she can succeed Hmm. so it um that was great and when I was at the academy I'll never this was so funny my mom would get on because she wanted me to write every week. We only had the mail shoots in certain places and it was near the upper class rooms. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go there and drop off a letter without getting in trouble. I, they would get me if I came out there. I hid. I spent all my time hiding. So it was, uh, so I told her that, God forgive me, that they said that I couldn't write right now. I was too busy. Well, she got furious and called the superintendent. Oh, no. So 
the commandant calls me in and said, he said, your mother's on the phone. <laughs> said, ah! She said that I'm keeping you from, <laughs> the commandant was the one who called me in said that you said that I won't let you write home. <laughs> and so uh, I talked to her. I said, Mom, he didn't say that, but I'm, I just had to say, I didn't want her. You can't write in community. You don't want to lie to your parents. Right. And I didn't want her to know what was going on. Right. And I said, I said, can we just wait a while? Now's not a good time. If there's anything that I can't deal with, I call and let you know. And I had to apologize and apologize to the commandant <laughs> too. But, <laughs> but it's you, sometimes we have to protect those that love us when we're going through challenges. That's very true. There's no reason to make them go to them at the same time too. And if 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 they know you love them, they'll come to you if they really need. It's really true. And I, I think of one of my favorite phrases is ignorance is bliss. Uh, because there are so many things that uh, my kids have told me either that happened or like when my son was deployed and, uh, and we had little communication, as you know, when you're deployed, you mm -hmm. barely communicate. And thank God that I didn't know. Thank God I found out after. So I totally get the, get the protection. The one thing about the book is not on Amazon. Okay. So it's at nocoincidencesbook.com. Thank you so much, Jamie, again. Thank and you. I really appreciate this opportunity. And it's an honor to be here with you.